welcome to the latest pensions podcast from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions team. You can subscribe and listen again on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Stephen Richards, a new partner in the pensions team, and I have with me Mark Catchpole, another partner in the team. Today we're going to talk about some of the key pensions law developments up to the end of May 2018. Firstly, Mark, the Upper Tribunal handed down its ruling in the Box Clever case in May. What did that case involve and could you shed some light on the key points from their ruling? Yes, um, very broadly, the uh, case is an interesting uh, analysis of the pensions regulator's powers and broadly indicates that they're slightly wider than I think people anticipated, but also demonstrates that you can frustrate those powers by contesting their exercise at every level. So if I turn now to the principal points of the case, the case concerned a decision taken by the regulator in 2011 to issue a financial support direction against five ITV group companies in relation to the Box Clever scheme. I should just point out here, financial support direction is really an exercise of the power of the regulator against a company to give support to an occupational pension scheme where that company does not participate in that scheme but is connected to an employer that is. So what they did was that there was a deficit in the scheme of £115 million. The anti-avoidance action came about following the collapse of Box Clever in 2003 and Box Clever itself was formed in 2000 as a result of a merger uh, between Conrada, which is now ITV, and Thorn, which is now known as Carmelite. Following the merger, the scheme was established in 2001, and it appears that ITV extracted some significant value from Box Clever prior to its collapse shortly afterwards in 2003. ITV originally challenged the regulator's determination to issue the financial support direction in January 2012, and that's an indication of how long this saga's gone on for. It also challenged the regulator's ability to submit additional evidence to the anti-avoidance case in 2013. However, both the Court of Appeal and the Upper Tribunal found in the regulator's favour in relation to the additional evidence challenge, at least, and permission for ITV to appeal on that point has been refused. So, turning to the principal point about whether the regulator could issue a financial support direction Uh, in relation to ITV and the Box Clever scheme, the Upper Tribunal noted that by their choice of structure for the joint venture, the shareholders extracted considerable cash from the business with no risk of recourse to their assets. They retained an ongoing interest in the merged business with the possibility of further value being generated if the business was successful but without having to bear any responsibility if the business whose strategy they continued to determine subsequently failed. The tribunals also clarified a number of points regarding how and when the pensions regulator can use its financial support direction powers, which are probably more general interest. First, when operating the financial support direction regime in order to meet its objectives, the regulator can take into account events which occurred prior to the Pensions Act 2004 coming into force. And it was that act which actually introduced the pensions regulator and the financial services direction regime. So in effect, allowing retrospectively for facts taken before then to be taken into account. 
Second, the financial support direction regime is not fault-based, and so does not require any criticism or blame to be attached against the target of the direction. Instead, the regime is responsibility-based. In this case, ITV chose the structure of the joint venture and should therefore bear appropriate responsibility for the risks. Third, whether it is reasonable to issue a financial support direction is assessed by balancing all the relevant facts to reach a conclusion with the relationship between the target of the financial support direction and the relevant scheme as a starting point. A financial support direction may still be issued against a target, even if it has not received any substantial benefit from its relationship with the scheme sponsor, although it's noted in this case it did receive a significant benefit. Surprise, surprise, but ITV has indicated that it will seek to appeal the upper tribunal's decision And so this long-running dispute looks set to continue for a while longer yet. Thanks, Mark. That's certainly a case that we'll be keeping a watching brief on. Um, The Pensions Ombudsman has also been busy over the past month, and he's given us a reminder of an employer's pension obligations after receiving employees on a business transfer. In particular, he upheld a complaint where there were two successive business transfers as a result of which two employers transferred a small business, but both of them failed to comply with their obligations to provide appropriate pension arrangements as required under the Pensions Act 2004. Mr L, in this case, was employed by the cooperative group and was a member of the defined contribution section of the pension scheme. In April 2015, Mr L was notified that the co-op had agreed to transfer his business to Mr M and that the transfer constituted a 2p transfer. This would have provided protection for Mr L's benefits. Mr L's employment was transferred to Mr M in April 2015. A second Chupi transfer then occurred in December 2016, when Mr L's employment was transferred to Black Sea Limited, who he worked for until February 2018, when Black Sea was dissolved. Between April 2015 and February 2018, neither Mr M nor Black Sea Limited provided Mr L with pension accrual. The Ombudsman held that both Mr M and Black Sea had been obliged to provide pension benefits under the appropriate pension arrangement for Mr L as a result of the 2P transfers. The failure of both Mr M and Black Sea to do this had resulted in Mr L suffering injustice, which amounted to maladministration, on the part of both Mr M and Black Sea. The Ombudsman therefore directed that Mr M and Black Sea, notwithstanding that it had been dissolved, should pay pension contributions for the periods during which Mr L had been employed by each of them. The contributions payable were the same as the contribution rates which had been required under the co-op pension scheme. In addition, the Ombudsman concluded that Mr M and Black Sea's failure to respond had caused Mr L further considerable distress and inconvenience. The Ombudsman took this into account and directed each of Mr M and Black Sea to pay Mr L £2,500 to compensate him. Thanks, Stephen. And uh, although I hesitate to mention it, I can't let the month go by without talking about the General Data Protection Regulation, or it's better known as GDPR, which is, of course, European legislation. And to note that actually the UK relevant legislation was passed on the 21st of May 2018, and that is the Data Protection Act 2018. And this act repeals and replaces the Data Protection Act 1998 and implements the government's manifesto commitment to, quotes, modernise UK data protection laws to make them fit for purpose for an increasingly digital economy and society. Perhaps more importantly, the 
Act helps to ensure that the UK and EU data protection regimes are aligned and the UK can continue to freely exchange personal data with the EU post-Brexit. Very broadly, the 2018 Act can be summarised under four main elements. First, general data processing. This implements the GDPR standards across all general data processing and provides clarity on the definitions used in the GDPR in the UK context. It also ensures that sensitive health, social care and education data can continue to be processed while making sure that confidentiality in health and safeguarding situations is maintained. Rights to access and delete data are restricted to allow certain processing to continue where there is a strong public policy justification, for example, national security purposes. The second element is law enforcement processing. There is now a bespoke regime for processing of personal data by the police, prosecutors and other criminal justice agencies for law enforcement purposes. This is intended to allow the unhindered flow of data internationally, whilst also providing safeguards to protect personal data. The third element is related to the second in that it relates to law enforcement processing. This element allows intelligence services processing and ensures that laws governing the processing of personal data by the intelligence services remain up to date and in line with modernised international standards. The final element relates to regulation and enforcement. Additional powers are brought into force for the ICO, or Information Commissioner's Office, who will continue to regulate and enforce data protection laws. The ICO will be able to levy higher administrative fines on data controllers and processors for the most serious data offences, up to £17 million, or €20 million, or 4% of global turnover for the most serious breaches. The Act also empowers the ICO to bring criminal proceedings against a data controller or processor who alters records with intent to prevent disclosure following a subject access request. So Stephen, is there anything else which we should be keeping an eye on in the legislative front? Well, yes, there is the Financial Guidance and Claims Act 2018. Now this Act received royal assent during May, but it's received little attention from a pensions perspective. However, it does make three significant changes which it's worth taking note of. First, the Act provides for the establishment of a single financial guidance body, or SFGB, to replace pension-wides, the Pensions Advisory Service, and the Money Advice Service. The SFGB's functions will cover pensions guidance, money guidance, debt advice, consumer protection, and the setting of various strategies relating to improving citizens' financial awareness. This consolidation follows an earlier change to TPAS, the Pensions Advisory Service, that was completed in April 2018, whereby TPAS's dispute resolution function was moved in its entirety to the Pensions Ombudsman's Service. The SFGB should be up and running towards the end of this year. This change, and the earlier transfer of TPAS's dispute resolution services to the Pensions Ombudsman Service, will result in a need for trustees and managers of pension schemes to update the wording of member-facing scheme literature, such as IDRP notices to reflect the new details of public bodies that pension scheme members can get in touch with in relation to pensions complaints or for general pensions advice. Second, the Act provides a regulation-making power to allow pensions cold calling to be banned. These regulations may be in place by the end of the month. 
The ICO will have responsibility for enforcing the ban and will have powers to prosecute and serve monetary penalty notices of up to £500,000 in relation to breaches of the regulations. Third, the Act provides for regulations in relation to occupational pension schemes and FCA general rules in relation to personal pension schemes requiring trustees or managers of pension schemes to take certain steps when a member or other beneficiary applies to transfer any of their rights under a pension scheme or to start receiving their benefits under the scheme. It seems that these provisions will not apply to occupational pension schemes that only provide defined benefits. Significantly, pension scheme trustees or managers will not only need to ensure the individual is referred to appropriate pensions guidance, but they will also need to check the individual has, in fact, received or otherwise opted out of receiving guidance. The regulations should also set out rules to explain what constitutes appropriate pensions guidance, how pension scheme trustees and managers should comply with this new duty and certain exceptions to the duty. If nothing else, this could result in a need to make significant changes to the procedures that schemes adopt when transferring out benefits or starting pension payments. Well, that's all for this month. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative and don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or on the Stevenson Harwood website. (laughs) 